seen a Coen Brothers movie and this one seems like such a different style from what I've seen from a Coen Brothers style like seen trailers and stuff for other movies and I've heard so many great things about this movie that it made me just want to watch this and when I watched it I absolutely fell in love with it and I think it's a really unrepresented movie for like an underrated movie yeah yeah it was um I saw it I I, I saw the trailer when it first came out, and I love the song that's in the trailer, which is the Fare Thee Well version with Marcus Mumford, which I, I really liked and listened to over and over again. And I I didn't get the chance to actually see it in theaters, but I saw it about maybe a, a year or two ago. It was one of those things where it was like I was home, and I really wanted to watch a movie, and that one just came up, and I was like, oh, yeah, I definitely need to see that because I haven't seen it. And yeah, I was... I, I this this movie actually, and I rewatched it last night. It was actually better for me the second time than when I watched it the first time. I loved, like I, I noticed a lot more, and just I I don't know. It was something about it that made this um that the second experience like a, a lot better. But that being said, it is a really good movie, and I'm a huge Coen Brothers fan, so it's like I, I want to see everything that they do. Um, and 2013 was kind of a a really big year yeah. for movies, and this one stands out among them. What this so this this movie is it's is a dark comedy. It's dramatic. It has really good music. It, it and it's and it's it's an original movie. Like it seems mm-hmm. like. What about this movie? Do you think like would grab uh, like an audience member's attention? For like back in like you know in two thousand thirteen, it's obviously not that long ago. But this mm-hmm. movie is very different. But it is kind of part of this newer resurgence of independent movies that we've been seeing. Yeah. So what do you think is something that like. Like draws people like to it. Well, I definitely think that having the Coen Brothers name attached to it really gives it the st- like that, and then having the star power that it does with Oscar Isaac, Justin Timberlake, the guy who played Kylo Ren. I'm forgetting his name. At this Adam moment. Driver. Adam Driver. Yes. Um, just to name a few, and like just having that star power alone, even if some of them are in it for like ten minutes, like still having that name up on the the title or whatever gives it that star power that makes people interested in wanting to see it. And mm-hmm. also for like those more independent people, it has great music. And the, if you're a huge cinematography fan, like it has subtle cinematography stuff inside this film that really just accentuates stuff that you really wouldn't be able to notice in a lot of other movies. Yeah. I think that I was trying to, it was as, as I was watching this movie, I was trying to think of like what, the signature, or I guess, quote unquote, signature style of the Coen Brothers is because a lot of people have signature styles, like, um, you know, like Edgar Wright, like makes movies that are super fast mm-hmm. and well edited and stylized, things like that. Wes Anderson has the colors and things like that. But I was trying to figure out, like, what exactly a, a Coen Brothers movie. I mean, I've seen many of them. Like, the, what they're, I don't, I, I can't necessarily pinpoint a one style per se, other than subtlety. Mm-hmm. They do a lot with subtlety in their dark com, in their comedies, like Fargo. All of the comedy, it's very dark, but it's also kind of, it's not heavy-handed. No Country for Old Men, the tension, everything is very, it's not... It's, in your it, face. Yeah, nothing about their movies are really necessarily in your face, yeah. um, I would say. Except for maybe Hail Caesar, but that's a little different. But I think that's kind of their main thing. They do things very subtly and with great effect. I think that's definitely, they probably give the audience some credit and be like, that they'll be able to follow along, even if it is subtle, which I definitely think works in their favor. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I've been a big fan of theirs ever since I saw it. I think I saw Fargo my freshman year of high school, and that was, like, the first one that I saw. And ever since then, it's just like... Or, no, I saw Oh, Brother, Where Art That when I was, like, 11. And then ever since then, it was just like, yes, I need to see these these movies. And um, this one is definitely probably up there with one of my favorites of theirs. Definitely. Um, so it came out in 2013. Um, like we said, written, directed mm-hmm. by um, Joel and Ethan Cohen. It um, stars... 
Oscar Isaac, Carrie Mulligan, John Goodman, Garrett Hedlund, F. Murray Abraham, and uh, Justin Timberlake, um, and, and Adam Driver. So, a bunch of people in this movie. Some yeah. people who may not necessarily be... Like a couple of them were kind of smaller names, like Adam Driver, we all know now from Star Wars. Um, Garrett Hedlund was in Pan, um, and uh, Carrie Mulligan kind of took off after being in The Great Gatsby yeah. um, and getting her Oscar nomination for an education back in 2011. Um, so this was basically kind of the the pushing ground for, for mm-hmm. her. And John Goodman, obviously, has been in many, many Coen Brothers movies. Never heard of him. <laughs> um so this is definitely a, a very under I, I definitely agree with you that it's an underrated movie yeah. there's this is just kind of one of those things where it's it's small it's um it's kind of simple but yeah. i think that um it, it just it's one of those that like it, it i feel like it just needs to be seen because it's different mm-hmm. but it's not it's it's not weird yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, it definitely has moments where it's like, okay, you wouldn't expect this to happen in, say, one of your most blockbuster films. So it definitely sets itself apart from most movies. But it definitely keeps that core of what, say, like an indie movie for sake. Like, it keeps that flow of keeping you involved and keep giving you a, a character driven story that really just tells you all the facets of this character yeah and it's not yeah it's definitely one that is focused more on um the character than anything else it's not too crazy in terms of story it's kind of like a beat uh a scene for scene kind of thing you're just going Mm -hmm. along it's like it's a it's a week for the well you're staying with this guy and it's not um, anything too over the top it's just it's super simple it, and i don't like maybe something like this where you wouldn't expect to be as great as it is because of just how like yeah it's it's, it's an easy it mm-hmm. seems like an easy movie it's easy going it's just but it, like i think there's something there that that sticks with people obviously the music and that was when i saw this movie for the first time i immediately as soon as i was done watching it i went out and i bought the the soundtrack for it like as soon as it finished i was like i gotta get that and i went out and i bought the cd for it and I love li- it's in my car. I've listened to it many times, which is obviously the kind of the one of the stars in the movie, which we'll talk about yeah. a little bit later. Well, I think it's kind of interesting that you see this movie about a folk singer and a lot of people going into it. I would imagine think, oh, this is going to be how this guy it starts from the slums and then works his way up and then mm-hmm. makes it big. And then either he messes it up or he f- learns something in the end that makes him a better person in the end. And it's like, no. It's completely different. This yeah. movie like gives you an honest idea, mm-hmm. I think, yeah. of what being in the movie, uh, not movie, music industry is like. Yeah. It's also, I also feel like it's part of that kind of newer or earlier um, age of movies about artists because during this time you had movies like, um, like Sing Street. Um, came out I think a year or so after this maybe no it, it was 2016 Begin Again came out the same year as this and then just a few years before that was once and then a little bit after that you had um, uh, La La Land yeah um, so there, there's a lot of um, newer movies that were coming out in like I guess in independent form yeah. and Whiplash that were about artists and struggling artists and things like that um, I it's it, it's kind of its own little subgenre now with yeah. the amount of, like it's the new independent like kind of almost i don't want to say meta but like it it does it's like showing like giving honest portrayals of like artists because we don't i don't there weren't many others like this that kind of like really grabbed people like all of um mm-hmm. john um oh, fuck, i forgot his name but the guy who did the those other three movies once begin again and sing street they all kind of were they all were pretty popular when they came out as far as i know mm-hmm. and um, and so was, and obviously La La Land, I like that these, these movies about artists are kind of branching out and a lot of people are, they're getting to some people. I think that the, those stories are ones that can like make a big impact. Do you think that those, like, what, like, how can you explain this kind of newer, this new wave of movies about artists? I like, I, I really like it and I think it's a really good idea, but we see more and more of them. Yeah. I mean, with a lot of like movies like La La Land to be compared to this, it's like, both of them kind of give way to different aspects of of the industries. It was like La La Land. It's a musical. And in the end, some people achieve their dreams while some people are just happy with what they experience with somebody else. Whereas like with this, it's very much 
I think the lesson you take away from it is that you're going to go through hurdles mm-hmm. and all this different stuff is going to happen and you're not necessarily going to achieve your dream at the end of it. Yeah. And then I think the variety in all these different movies coming out that are like this are just giving you totally different glimpses inside of those industries or whatever kind of story they're trying to tell. And it's also, I mean, the stories in and of themselves of, of artists because of struggle and personal dreams and aspirations. And I think that's uh, another reason why they feel like these, like, because I think like a lot of, you know, great filmmakers and things like that go through those times of, you know, or any artist really go through those times of great hardship to get to where they want to be. And I like that how like, de- like kind of deep these stories are um, to to get out of people. Because I mean, obviously, like not everyone's an artist, but I think like the themes presented like in this kind of like failure or in like the, the struggles, but then also get, like achievement. I think that really is something that a lot of people can relate to regardless of you know job or anything like that i think those themes um can really grab people and you connect with them regardless because you want them to succeed um so this movie was nominated for i believe two academy awards one for cinematography and then the other for i think sound mixing right sound mixing i believe yes and uh it has a 93 percent on rotten tomatoes deservedly so based on 253 reviews with an average score of 8.5 out of 10, which is really good. That's that's awesome. And then 93 out of 100 on Metacritic as well. And high green, that's awesome. And I believe that this is um, uh, based on 2016 BBC Culture Poll. This was voted the 11th greatest film of the 21st century. And this was, and it was, really, it was rated that after No Country for Old Men, which is another Coen Brothers movie, so they're back to back. Coen Brothers got it unlocked. Yeah, they do. They are some of the best filmmakers working today. They're incredible. Um, so why don't we go through and talk about what happens in Inside Lou and Davis. Okay. Movie starts off, obviously, haven't seen it. Spoilers. Go check it out. It's awesome. Um, so we start off, we're in um, 1961 at the Gaslight Cafe, or the Gaslight Stage, I believe it's called. Yeah. And we're in Greenwich Village, New York, and um, we meet Lewin Davis, like, right off the bat. He's singing a song um, called, I believe it's called All Around This World, but I'm not sure. It's a beautiful song, and uh, I don't think a lot of people realized how good of a singer Oscar Isaac was before this movie. Um, yeah, there were moments where I actually was, wasn't was sure if it was actually him singing, but then about halfway through, I knew it had to be him singing. He's, he is great in this movie. Like, really, he's, this is, like, the best performance that we've had from him, I feel like. I think, mm-hmm. he, or, Agreed. well, I mean, I think maybe a little bit Ex Machina is a little bit more, but, like, this movie is just so, um, I, I just think he's given it his all, and he just sounds, his, he sounds so good. Like, he just has a really great voice. Mm-hmm. So he's playing his song, and it's um, it's clear that he is like really into the music, and he feels most passionate about it. And when he when he goes off stage, um, we find out that um, well, he comes off stage, and then someone is asking for him, and he gets beat up in the alleyway. So it's clear that he's kind of for someone beats him up for like yelling at a show the night before or something. We're not really sure what, and that's where our movie starts. So I think that's a very interesting way to start it because it's not. You know, you don't start off out of me like he plays a good song. Mm-hmm. If a lot of people come up and congratulate him and he just goes home, it's a completely different yeah, kind makes, of feel. It makes you wonder, like, what kind of char- a guy is this guy, uh, character? Is he this guy who just has people who hate him? Is he hateable? Are we supposed to be hating him right now? Like, what kind of character is he? It makes you intrigued on what his story is. Yeah, exactly. And I, and um. And, and yeah, you, you kind of feel for him. You're wondering like, oh, like what, you know, A, obviously, what did he do? But like, you know, what what else is going on with him? So and then we cross dissolve to he's staying at this one apartment with his, um, and then we, we meet the cat. The cat's a pretty big part of this movie. Yeah. Um, and he puts on the... Um, his album with his with his partner his partner mike um who we find out committed suicide just a little while before this movie and he puts on the song um fare thee well which is again i can't emphasize enough is a beautiful song i i don't know if any of these songs are other than please mr kennedy i know that was an original song but i'm not sure how many of these other songs were originals 
but I know that um, I think they had somebody come in and at least write some songs. I'm not sure how many, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure they had somebody come in and write a few songs. Yeah, it's with um, it's with Marcus Mumford, the Fairly Well song. It's such a beautiful song, and it, and it, and it works so well with the sequence where he's trying to leave, and then the um, and then the cat gets out, and he yeah. has to like kind of keep it with him, and that's like, I think it kind of goes without saying that the cat isn't um necessarily just a cat the cat is its own character (laughs) that it's like cliche saying that but like yeah he definitely the cat really measures uh what lewin's going throughout the entire movie he like whether or not he's in a good place or a bad place you can really tell the arc of his character through that cat yeah and it's very I, I saw it as kind of like it's his only friend in this whole movie. Yeah. It's not really like, I mean, obviously later on it may seem like it's a different cat, but it's it's really the only thing that he's able to maintain throughout the movie. Yeah. At least during the it's first like two the only, acts. It's like the only relationship he can't mess up is with that cat. Yeah, exactly. And it's, and it's kind of sad, but it is kind of a night nice, and I feel bad that he keeps losing him. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's nice to see like he has at least something to hold on to. He's and then he goes to his um, ex girlfriend's house. Um, uh, Jean, who is living, uh, she has a a boyfriend currently named Jim, played by Justin Timberlake, mm-hmm. and Jean is played by Carrie Mulligan. Carrie Mulligan, I think, is really really good in this movie personally because I yeah. think I think she's just really funny. Um, I mean, obviously she lashes out at him, at uh, Lewin throughout the entirety of the movie but i think it's really funny <laughs> you should have worn double condoms yeah I should have worn du- that, that whole sequence is great um yeah so it's clear and so they have this one guy this one guy i think his name's like fred or something like that the army guy the army guy yeah, yeah. he's i thought he was he was kind of funny too i'm sorry <laughs> i'm sorry um so yeah so um he has to stay on their couch but like um she says that he can stay on the floor and they go talking because gene is pregnant and he's terrified that it's his it's his and but um we're not we're not sure and he's saying like oh we he's it's clear like this is just like this is almost like just it's just one thing mm. that's just added on so it's like it's his record's not sell, selling like he went to his manager and um mel his producer and said like yeah it's not it's not doing well and and now he has like the possibility of being a father and it's just like it's clear that like things are just getting stacked on top and you're not really sure what's going to get resolved and what isn't but i think that these conflicts kind of add to like being like oh i feel for you Mm -hmm. you know because i don't think that I mean, I guess us at our age are, I mean, the stress levels of the two of us yeah. in the character are completely different, but like it's, anyone can look at that and be like, yeah, that's a lot of stress to be dealing with yeah. in such a short period of time. And I think that that's a really good connecting uh, tactic. Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely think that when you see that stuff, it definitely builds up his character of not having the best luck and that he's not going to get anything like this is either either gonna be all resolved by the end or he's just going to be this character who can't do anything right and uh that night we go to we go back to the gaslight and the the army guy i I honestly i can't remember i think it's fred but i'm not sure but he is he plays a song it's very pretty and then jim and gene get up there and uh i i think this is one moment that i actually like um that's pretty small he um after asking Justin Timberlake for money and Justin Timberlake saying, you know, he probably can't do it. That's another thing. It's clear that he's going from person to person asking for help. And, Mm -hmm. um, the guy, the army guy goes, I want someone to come up here and help me. I know y'all know him. And Oscar and uh, Lewin just goes, I don't have my guitar. And he's like, Jim and Gene. And then they just go up and he's just kind of sitting there like, Oh God damn it. (laughs) Which is kind of like a, um, I think he and I, I I don't want to say that he's necessarily selfish or self-centered, but I definitely think that he definitely knows that he has this talent with him because he does have talent. Mm-hmm. But I think he 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 knows it. And that was kind of your first inkling where it's like, all right, he knows that he's talented. And I think that the fact that it's not selling, that his album isn't selling is also adding like to the fact that he's yeah. just getting him down, which sucks. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just is like the worst, you know. Also, his name is Troy. Troy. OK. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um. Yeah, I definitely think that. In that part, you kind of see the part of 
why he's such an unlikable character in a way that like that starts to reveal like oh well he's kind of a dick <laughs> like not in like i mean he has he way, definitely like, has flaws yeah but i but like i understand um, i understand yeah. him you know i don't necessarily agree with everything he does but i definitely yeah. understand him you know i don't think he's necessarily i mean the bad a bad guy yeah, he's not like a he's, horrible person he's just in a bad spot in his yeah. life right now um so the cat the, the gorfine's cat uh, that's the name of the, the his friends the cat escapes and he loses him it seems like it's just gone like all hope is gone and so he goes um sister's house and we meet his sister saying like she's um she seems to be doing pretty well there's the house that they're in is their parents house and they're selling it and I think that this was this was a really good moment for this was kind of I what I like to call an artist moment because it's like when he talks to his um his sister she says like they talk about um oh you like you like out here like in reality or something like that it's like oh out here like us outside of the music industry and he's saying like oh what am I supposed to do just like live and like whatever like I th- it's very clear that the music is his like number one importance mm-hmm. and that being anything else and just kind of like you know, whatever yeah. is something that he wants to. He even says to Carrie Mulligan earlier, he's like, you know, living in the, what do you want to do? Live in the suburbs and like just have kids. And she's like, what's wrong with that? It's just clear he doesn't want a normal life. Yeah, his, his, he, what he wants for his future is not a normal life. He just wants to have this life where he can do what he loves and just not have any other care in the world and have to take care of anybody. Yeah, exactly. And I, we've been in that situation mm-hmm. before at least in the fact that like we want so bad to do we want to create and do well for our art and that's like and everyone like many others is just like accepting a normal life mm-hmm. which is fine it's just completely different which then he also kind of kind of goes against himself because throughout the movie you see that he generally does care about Carrie Mulligan's character yeah and about uh the Garfine's ca- like cat and like he doesn't want to ruin anything with their family no. just as much as anybody else mm-hmm. he gets a call he's he's talking to the uh i can't remember what the 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 male garfine's name is but he um gives him gives a he talks to the loan on the phone and says that justin timberlake has a gig for him so he goes to the uh, columbia records and says um and they play we meet adam driver's character who um is another guy who's you know his album isn't selling all that great but he's he's very content and he has a girlfriend and i love so and then they play please mr kennedy <laughs> i love this song i honestly do i think it's really funny and i think it's a lot of fun this song is actually my first exposure to this movie i saw a clip of this from this movie and that was my first exposure to this movie and uh-huh. i'm like what is this from it's so funny it's it's just like i don't know it's it's catchy it's funny it's just kind of like weird yeah but i i overall it's a, and oh, oh also i should mention most of the songs that are in this like fare thee well and please mr kennedy are original songs okay so a, co- a couple of them were covers. were like covers of famous like uh, 500 miles the song that the that Jim and Gene and um, Troy sing, which is very pretty, is a cover, but a couple other songs are um, originals. Um, so Lewin is like really happy with the gig, and he says that. So he signs the the contract, and he's like, "Oh, okay, I'll. Uh, I just need the, I need the money now." And they gives him two hundred dollars now, but he has no royalties. Yeah, he which just, really later on screws him. Yeah, which is um, which kind of sucks. I mean, but I. It's like you understand why he did it because he really does need that money now. And I feel like he just feels so bad for him. But at that moment, it's just like, I got to do what I got to do. And and then he crashes with Al Cody. Which I think is really interesting about Al Cody is at that moment when he goes to his house, he's trying to hide his records that he gets from his manager. And you see uh, Al Cody basically is the same thing, hiding his old records. If you think about it, Al Cody and Lewin Davis in this movie are kind of like mirrors of each other. Al Cody has a, a girlfriend. He is actually doing somewhat good. He's like literally doing every, getting everything 
that he wants, at least in this story that you see of, of him, in the little limited time you see him. Whereas Lewin Davis is single and alone. Al, Al Cody is much more content yeah. with what's going on yeah. with him than uh, Lewin is. And so Lewin also goes to um, Mel, his producer's place again, and um, gives him all the cop like he yeah. and all just they're not selling, just gives them all back to him. And this this shot of him looking at the box and like looking at the records and he's just kind of sad it's just like that yeah, it's really depressing also we shouldn't go any further and uh without mentioning the cinematography in this movie obviously it was nominated for an oscar and i think that um this cinematography in this movie is incredible it's so great it's, it's somehow bright and dark at the same time i like to i this is uh, a really good color movie i think every shot has like a tint of like olive green or something like yeah. that over it i think it's cool too that if you notice uh some spots that oscar isaac is sort of like hazy sort of it's not necessarily like it's like face tune or anything but yeah. it's like it's like soft and I think that's really interesting. Yeah. On his character, you see that. Yeah, they, I think they do. They also do really good with focus in this movie. Yeah. Like shallow focus and like changing mm-hmm. the depth of field. It looks just every shot, like honestly, just looks. It's kind of like a water painting. Like everything kind of like the colors are just kind of like faded out, like very kind of watery. But I love the olive green color in it. Very, very, and honestly, like I mean, someone could look at it and say it's like really ugly because of the color, but like honestly, right. I think it's very, it's, it's, it's pretty a, simple. It's a, it's, a, it's simple, but it's a beautiful movie. Also, I think it's interesting that if you notice uh, when he's playing music, almost always it's they never like cutting back and forth. It's almost always just like either moving mm-hmm. slowly back and forth. It's always just like one, maybe two shots. Yeah. So you're not like, you still have that connection with the song. And it's always only on him yeah. too. It's not on like a reaction shot of the audience. Uh-huh. It's all like 90% of the song is always on him. Yeah. He goes to the the abortion clinic with the, to the doctor and says that he, actually a little bit before this, he meets with Gene again and they talk about, you know, their lives and just saying like, like he, that this is like, he wants to like, it, it, it kind of reminds me, there's a scene in Birdman, that's another like kind of artist movie, mm-hmm. there's, there's this the scene in Birdman when Michael Keaton's character yells at Emma Stone's character and he's like, this is my career, it's finally my chance to do something. To do something that means something, it kind of reminds me of that because Loon is saying like you know he, you know maybe he's out of, um, you know he's out of money or you know something or like he gets one gig and it kind of means the world to him and like the, it's clear that he doesn't want to do anything else but the music and that is the one it's the driving force and he just like holds on to it like for dear life and I and he is. It, he knows he's struggling and that is keeping him down but at the same time just the drive and ambition of his music is still I think that's the most alive thing about him yeah I'd agree mm-hmm. and he gets the cat back yes at the cafe. or at least he thinks he does he thinks he does yeah so he he goes to this doctor who he's talking about getting an uh, giving an abortion who to he, apparently he's had experience with before yeah they at a, another uh relationship that he had um the woman needed an abortion as well as for gene and he says that oh there's no charge and he says that the the woman before um i think her name was deborah or something i thought her name started with like a d or something like that but she um she did not actually go through with the abortion and she's living in akron ohio and it seems like oh my god now he actually might be a father and like that's just you just that's the whole thing about this movie each scene pounds him more and more into the ground and, like, this is only in, like, the first act. <laughs> yeah. So he gets the cat, and he goes back to the Gorefine's house, and he thinks he's going to have a nice, pleasant dinner and meets some of their kind of uptight, you know, um, rich friends. <laughs> and and it's clear he's just out of his element here. Yeah. This is not this is not an area for him. I think it's clear that he's pretty uncomfortable. Which I think, from the way it sounds, it doesn't seem like it's the first time this has happened either. Like, he comes in, he's like, no, I don't want to have dinner. Mm-hmm. And then he starts talking and... Yeah, it kind of seems like he is... Like, he, you know, at first he's like, I don't want to impose. But then it's kind of clear that, like, you know, maybe... Yeah, maybe this has happened before. He doesn't really want to meet with his friends. He doesn't want to feel like... He doesn't want to feel out of place. Yeah. You know? <laughs> One of my favorite, um, like, quick moments of comedy is when they're at the dinner table and there's the 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 couple the the white man and the Asian woman and they say they have a they have a uh, a son and they say his last name their last name is like Green Fung and he's like really 
but they, they um, the Gore finds encouraged Lewin to play a song, and so mm-hmm. he plays um, this hierarchy version of Fairly Well, and the woman starts singing the harmony part, and it triggers him. Um, yeah. He he freaks out, and he's then because she starts singing Mike's part, and it's just, I think. I'm not 100% sure. Like, I think he's trying to, like, maybe move from the past or just, like, he doesn't mm-hmm. want to... He's, he's trying to move on. And, like, I don't think reminding himself of that part of his life with Mike is, like, something that's very pleasant right. to him. I definitely think it's also, like, how he begrudgingly plays. He doesn't want to use his love for it as, like, a novelty. Like, yeah. it's being used as... Which you also kind of see when he even does the Dear Mr. Kennedy song. He doesn't want it to just be a novelty. Yeah, he wants it to be more like it's like he's saying that's it's how I pay the rent. It's my it's that's it's my living, you know. Yeah. Like, that's it's how I make a living, and and he wants it to be memorable and something like it's not. What's well, a fun parlor trick, you know? Yeah. Like that's not that's not what music is to him. That's what it is to a lot of people. I yeah. think it's just like you know something to have on in the background. Like that's not it's so much more to him. And then at the end of this is kind of the end of the first act. We find out that the cat that he brought back is not the Gorefine's cat, um, and saying that the, this is this cat is a girl, and then we cut to black. Like already in the first act, we, he's just been like handed everything that he doesn't want. Like everything wrong has like everything that could go wrong has pretty much gone wrong in his mm-hmm. life. And so now in the second act, we see that uh, Adam Driver told him that the car that he was driving was going to Chicago. We now see that he's taken that offer and he's getting in the car with Garrett Hedlund and John Goodman to help, like, pay for their gas. And I think... I don't know if he really has any real reason of going to Chicago. I, I think, think he, I think he's just going to get away. Yeah, I think he just wants to escape from all the stuff that's happening in, like, the first act. Yeah, and so... Garrett Hedlund doesn't really say that much. I think he's just kind of the symbol of the beatnik um, kind of age in the 60s. Yeah. And John Goodman is kind of this... <laughs> he's really funny in this movie. I think John Goodman has a lot of really, really funny small lines. He's just kind of the this kind of stuck-up old, like, kind of hippie guy. And, like, he says, like, you know, we used to play, like, music with instruments, you know, trombones, horns, not three chords on an ukulele. <laughs> ukulele. <laughs> but the, I think that... They all kind of have like relationships in music in some way, except I mean Garrett Hedlund kind of reads poetry, which is kind of like mm-hmm. part of it. And I um I like I, I just I like their dynamic together. Like I like their travel story. Yeah, it's like you kind of are curious of like if he's just a fat guy who's just like sleeping all the time. Like why is that? Like why? What's going on with him? And then. Later on, you kind of see why he's like that. But, like, it's definitely an interesting dynamic of why. He's kind of this one guy. He's, like, he's one of those guys he always has a story. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, like, constantly telling stories. But, like, oh, yeah, well, we did this. And they said, well, why can't I do Like, he, he just has, he's just, that's his big thing. He's constantly telling stories. And, you know, um, Lewin tries to, you know, play his music. And it's just kind of just kind of lost in them but he likes playing it yeah. um, for them as they're driving yeah johnny johnny five that's garrett Hill, and he's a yeah he's a he's kind of this beat nick beat poet kind of guy which is kind of like the showing like kind of the transition of where music or like kind of i guess art was going in that age right. it's kind of and, and johnny five that's a total like beatnik name like that's it's just like a gr- like a greaser name that's like perfect for do him. you even hear his that name in the movie yeah twice is it okay. yeah he's like this is my valet johnny five johnny five that's very forgettable <laughs> yeah yeah it's just kind of like that's it's like i said it's just a one line kind of thing yeah so uh john goodman kind of he overdoses in the bathroom at a gas station or at a diner and so they put him in the car and he's just kind of sleeping in there. He's like passed out, and uh, they get pulled over. Uh, I think for sleeping. I think they yeah. were. They, they were. They, they were, were already, already pulled over, yeah. but the cop like woke them up for sleeping, and they arrest Garrett Headland. I think because just because he was a resisting arrest or something like like that. And then he's just left alone, and there's no keys in the car, and he leaves John Goodman in the car with the cat. And I think he realizes he can't at this point. He can only get where he's going if he's going alone. Right. Um, and it's kind of, it's, it is kind of like a depressing move to, that he just leaves the cat because I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously animals, but like it, he's giving up his friends or his own friend 
because I think he knows about the recording studio that he's going to. Um, and he he just gives up his friend to go for his dreams, which I think is kind of a testament to like what a lot of artists do. Right, yeah. Like you have to leave some people behind to get where you want to go. Yeah. I also think it also plays to that thing I was talking about earlier with the arc with the cat, where uh-huh. he kind of is setting like it kind of just goes with what we just said is that he's leaving that behind so he can try to persevere through all the stuff that he's going through yeah definitely you know after hiking across chicago in the snow like planes trains and automobiles he's just going and he finds in the phone book he finds a recording studio owned by a guy named bud grossman played by f murray abraham because it's kind of a big famous uh room and and studio and when he gets there he plays the Ballad of Queen Jane. Now, this is my favorite song in the whole um, soundtrack. It's beautiful, and I think that Oscar Isaac's voice just just pushes it forward. And I think this moment in the movie was a huge, like, kind of like a... I mean, a lot of bad stuff had happened before, but now it's just like this, this last moment, or this moment here, which is kind of the biggest, like, kick in the gut. He plays it. It's a beautiful song, and he waits, and F. Murray Abraham just says, I don't see any money here. Like, that, in my mind, in the whole movie, is the biggest, like, punch yeah. right in the stomach. Because it's not like it's a, oh, you're not a good singer, you're not, like, it's just like, I mean, you probably are good, but I don't see how you could do me any good. Yeah. And he says, like, well, you should do, like, a trio, you know, you could do well with harmonies, and he's like, no, you know. I was, part of, a, I was part of a group Yeah, once. he's like, well, get back together with him. And it's just like, because he does so well, like, he really is, like, he is a really and i don't think that this movie could have worked with a <clears throat> i think oscar isaac was one of the is like a, a perfect choice for this character mm-hmm. he but he's he sounds so good and he just does like the emotion really really well and i feel you just feel so bad for him because it's like you want him to really like it because it was like the perfect song for him to sing and it was just like no just shut down again and it's like oh my god so he gets in another car with a guy who's going to new jersey so he can get back to new york and on his way back he hits the cat um, from being like sleepy, and you think that the cat is dead. is dead, but then he sees it crawling yeah, into see the forest, kind of limping. And I, I'm not sure if that's kind of a, if that's like a, a beacon of hope that his like friend is okay, or if like that's another kind of thing where you just have to kind of keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. Well, what I kind of saw it as like at that moment when he hit it, that's kind of what, that's kind of after he gets that no, you're not good enough kind of spiel. He just kind of in the headspace of like, I'm just going to give up everything. And when he does that, it's kind of like everything that was going for him for that little bit is now all completely going into the trash. Yeah. And so at that point, he um, he decides he pays one hundred and forty eight dollars for his dues to go into the Navy. He, apparently he was already in the I believe he was in the Air Force because he has his pilot's license or something like that so I think he's going back into the military Merchant Marine Union and um, his father um, Hugh Davis was a big you know everyone asked him are you Hugh Davis's kid and he um, like everyone knows who he is he's a very you know well-known you know war guy or like knows around the town or something like that and and so he goes to visits his fa- visit he visits his father who's in this kind of nursing home and he's just he's super quiet. And I think, I mean, because his sister was kind of egging him on mm-hmm. to go do this. And I think that this was a very sweet moment that he at least went, you know, just to see him. And he played him a, a really, really nice song. Um, and it was, it was, and you know, this, the music is done really well here. Because obviously you mm-hmm. want to play a, a beautiful song. But I think it's good that each song, or at least most of the songs, have like really good moments of like showing like some form of emotion. Like this yeah. one is kind of like reconcile and like put it, bringing them back together. The, um, the trio of um, when they sing 100 Miles is kind of showing like that's where music is going. You need more people and that's like kind of the thing that's holding him back. Um, Fare Thee Well is kind of the song that like is about the past um, and saying, you know, sing about it. his partner or like all, all of these songs I think are just put so well in terms of the situation. They fit the tone of the scene or the movie. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so he tried to, he needed his pilot's license and his passport I believe, but his um his sister accidentally threw him out when she um when he said that he can just throw all that junk out but he wasn't he but he, she threw the filing stuff away by accident too and now he's set back even more and he can't get his money back so everything is just like he's just down and out like every, it's just like everything every single step is has gone wrong and it's and he can't even afford the 85 dollars to 
get his to get his license replaced. And then he finally takes up the offer. I think before then too, uh, he goes and visits uh, Carrie Mulligan's character and is just like telling her how like I'm gonna go back into the service and not pursue this anymore. I'm gonna. I just want to like leave my stuff here for now and. I just don't want to have to go through all this anymore. And she's just kind of like, at this moment, like, he is also worrying about how, uh, if she's gone to the abortion yet, uh-huh. and how... Also, I think one thing we skipped over is when he was driving back from uh, to New York, he had the chance to go to Akron, Ohio, right. mm-hmm. and he didn't. I'm glad that he didn't, honestly. Like, I think that that was a good move. I mean, not because of, like, I mean... If they did, it would have expanded, you know, on the on the story or the mm-hmm. or the character. But I think that also it would have been like I, I I like that we're just like kind of ambiguous about it all. I think it would have been interesting, but I'm also glad they didn't because, as much as I want to see where that would have gone, for the character it made sense that yeah. he didn't because he doesn't want that responsibility and he doesn't want to yeah he doesn't want to know and he doesn't want to ruin mm-hmm. what life she may already have. Um, and to go back to that scene is that's the one part where you see him like worrying about her like are you did you get taken care of yet she's like you idiot I don't have Saturday Saturday." and then in this part is the first part you kind of see her like actually supportive of him like I got you a gig for tomorrow night at the gaslight yeah it's like that's that is a a supportive and she's very kind of at least helpful yeah she's not fully you know she's not completely full of hatred yeah you you see her completely like throw shit at him this entire film and in this one scene you just see her like you see that they actually do care for each other yeah when he goes to the gaslight I believe the the night before he yeah. performs, yeah, he talks to the manager, and we find out that the manager has had sex with Gene. Yeah. I think that to get him the gig, maybe. Yeah, it's like, what do you think? All women have to sleep with me to get the gig here. Yeah, and so, but also what makes me kind of think is, like, if she, if did she do it for his gig, or did she do it for, like their gig and maybe that's mm-hmm. when maybe he could be a possible father i think those gears kind of turn in llewellyn's head a little bit yeah. maybe um but i mean obviously we're not 100 percent sure yeah on once that. again a lot of ambiguity yeah. in this film um so he heckles this woman who's playing um this kind of uh, like a harpsichord and um he gets he gets thrown out and you start to think about like um now going kind of going back to the beginning when the guy said you think you could just yell at people and you start to think oh wait he's yelling at someone now and so he goes to back to the the gore finds and they have more people over and we find out that the the cat came back and his name is ulysses yeah. and they kind of reconcile and have a a nice evening together and mm. he stays the night wakes up the next morning and uh, it's kind of the same shot following the cat and he leaves and the cat doesn't get out so now you're starting to think okay it's kind of wrapping back around and then that night he plays um, the same thing that you see in the beginning, plus uh-huh. I think another plus song. the other the other fairly well song, and I think that's kind of the that's kind of a close circle. That's kind of a closure song because now he does like he's playing it himself. He's not playing you know with his partner. That's kind of like the all right that like, we can fully see that. And when he leaves the gaslight, you know after having that same conversation about. Um, the heckling the night before and how he used to sing with his partner with the manager he leaves and a young bob dylan steps on stage and starts playing um i didn't realize that that was bob dylan well i mean it's not the real bob Dylan. i know but like like a representation of bob dylan yeah yeah and that's kind of like the you know where folk when he took it off yeah he's just sitting there on the pavement beating up and then he's like stares like almost directly at camera and then it's like like au revoir This is a, a perfect example of the circular um, narrative. So in analysis, obviously, there's a lot to talk about. Um, we talked all about the characters and whatnot, but I think um, I, I like that this movie does the, the circular narrative. Yeah. One, because you don't see it that often. And I, I like when it's used because it, um, well, obviously because it's cool. But I think there's always, I think, like uh, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind kind of shows like their right. relationship but this one is very much about self. And I think the main thing that this movie's trying to say is like, you know, this guy is kind of stuck in a constant wave of failure and um, disappointment. But it's also at the same time, you know, you're not 
you know, you're not 100% sure what happens to him, but you can imply that kind of the same thing continues to happen that he is right. he may get a little bit of success and just it's but it's so much more like being beaten down. Right. And I think it it's interesting how by the end of the film where it does just leave you on the just like in the middle sort of like it's like you, you expect more to happen after that that he ha- does like have some loose ends like he's has you see that he is a the, the kindness between him and Kurt Mulligan's character you see his relationship with the gore finds fixed and those are pretty much the only two things you see kind of like somewhat resolved yeah everything else is kind of like maybe in a sequel no <laughs> no not a, no. won't be a sequel but like kind of like you would expect more to happen later on uh-huh well yeah it's a lot of like a lot of this movie is about you know implication what you think might happen yeah and it's a, it's a very ambiguous movie but it's not like where it doesn't make sense you know you just kind of you just you just have to go through the week you know you can't go anymore past right. that because then i think it would just be too much um and and you and like i said you do constantly feel for this guy because i mean yes he has flaws and but i think um that he's just so relatable and understandable that you know you you can't help but you know kind of be by his side in all of this yeah like what person has not felt like every single thing they've done is just a constant failure and that they can't do anything right yeah and it's just like and it is and it's like the worst feeling in the world and i think we've done like you said we've all been there and so I think that this movie has a lot to say, obviously, about, you know, ambition and failure and trying to push through. I don't necessarily think this movie is saying that everyone gets caught in that loop no. or that everyone won't succeed because it's no, obviously not true. But I think that this is know, just a glimpse into one artist. Yeah. And how it is for, you know, many people, yeah. many people, you know, kind of every day go through this stuff, whether it be for artists or for like union workers or like you know whatever it may be i think a lot of people could find something in this that's you know relatable yeah i mean there are so many talented people out in the world trying to go into so many different fields that aren't necessarily going to make as even if they should and i think that this kind of like a lot of movies were like oh well everybody can achieve their dreams if they just believe and work hard which everyone should do that but like sometimes even when you do that it's not always going to work out yeah. And this doesn't like sugarcoat that. Right. It's a very truthful it's a it feels it's a very realistic movie. Mm-hmm. Like everything that happens in it is pretty like okay, I can I mean the cat is much more of a metaphor right. than anything else, but I think that that's kind of the the takeaways that, you know, the difficulties of being an artist and the kind of but also the kind of the importance of failure. You know, yeah. I think that we don't see a lot of movies where it's you know we see a lot of like success 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 but we don't see you know there's not many that just focus purely on the fact of falling down right i think that this movie is important because of that Mm -hmm. and i think it's especially important that this one he gets knocked down constantly but it doesn't necessarily get up right away right so like most people it's like you get right back on that horse and he's always begrudgingly getting back on the horse yeah (laughs) Um, so what's your grade for this movie? Um, and tell me why. So it's platinum's the high and gold's the second. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, this one's hard. What's yours? (laughs) Um, I would, I would probably, I don't have many flaws of this movie. I really don't. Um, I, I, I would give it a, I probably will give it a platinum because it's so different. I would say it's one of my favorites of that year of 2013. Um, it's. I think more people should definitely see it. I think it should be taught because of its use of, obviously its use of music is different because, I mean, obviously like, you know, a lot of Martin Scorsese movies use music to convey like the scene, but I think this, this one blends it like with one song can do tone, emotion, and you can get kind of the way of shooting a scene with those music, with, with that music. And obviously it's folk music. You don't see, I, mm-hmm. I, I just think that the way that the music is being used just um really really gets to you because of the simplicity of it and how i think we all grew up kind of um or like it have folk music kind of in our lives at some point because of how it's like simple and um soft but also like kind of heartfelt the whole the music is and i think that the the uses of it here are fantastic and obviously the performances yeah i really don't have that many flaws i don't have any like real flaws with this movie so that's what i would give it yeah i think i'm gonna give it a platinum as well just because when i watched this movie last night as soon as i finished watching it 
I wanted to watch it again. Uh huh. And like I get like a bunch of the stuff you said, like the music is great. I don't think there's a single song on here that I wouldn't listen to or like yeah. skip if it came on. Um, the performances are great, and it just tells like such an amazing story. Like we've gushed about it so much already, but like it just tells a story of a this guy. It's nothing super special about him, and like you don't hear see a lot of stories where you like this character a character where there's so much wrong with not so much wrong with there's them, but, flaws like, they're a yeah, flawed flaws. character yeah and so many times in movies you see a character who has like maybe one or two flaws and but you can just like look past them but this is some of the stuff is just like yeah the flaws yeah. are there purposefully mm-hmm. now it's not like a character flaw where it's like oh they they didn't it was like negligence but like of, of the writer but here they're purposely put in to make it like to make them more they're more of a character and more of a person mm-hmm. which i love I also think it's interesting that the actors they do get to play in this, so like Justin Timberlake, who usually I'm not a big fan of acting, he's in it for maybe ten minutes, two scenes. He's actually pretty good in this. Yeah, I think he's. I I actually I like him a lot as an actor personally. I don't think there's a lot of. I mean, you know, sometimes sure, like um, there's the Love Guru that he's in, which is just like ugh, whatever. I think but Trouble I mean, with the cur- Trouble with the Curve, he's pretty good in. Or obviously the Social Network, and also um, Friends with Benefits. He's in that movie. That's a movie. I don't. I honestly, I like Justin Timberlake a lot. I mean, I, I'm not. I mean, yeah. I, I think he does a good job in here. As, as small of a part as he mm-hmm. is, I think he he does well. Yeah, like a lot of the big name actors, you'd expect to have like so much more time in this, and I think they used to sell the movie. Really, don't have that much time. Like John yeah. Goodman has a few scenes. Uh-huh. Uh, Justin Timberlake has a few scenes. Adam Driver has like two scenes. Yeah, definitely. It very much is on the back of Oscar Isaac, which I think deservedly so. He did phenomenally. Yeah. Really um, great, really great performance. I really wouldn't have been surprised if he had at least gotten a nomination that year. He got a Golden Globe nomination, yeah. I believe, which is good. I'm glad that he got that, which is, yeah. But I mean, that that was a heavy year for the Oscars too. Mm-hmm. But like, um, definitely a worthy of a cinematography, um, nomination and yeah. one of my favorite Coen Brothers movies. I love the cinematography in this movie. Like just like I said before, like the, the softness on Oscar Isaac's character. When I first noticed it, I could not stop noticing it, and mm-hmm. the lighting is just great. Yeah. Now, the final question, after watching this, do you plan on watching more Coen Brothers movies? I do. Okay, <laughs> good. I, de- I highly recommend, obviously, No Country for Old Men. Okay. And Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Those are probably my two favorites. They're really, really great. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of uh, Frankly, I Love Movies. Thanks for being here, Austin. Thank and thanks you for, for me. Thanks for choosing this movie. Um. Uh, just a reminder, we're on Facebook and Twitter. You just look up Frankly I Love Movies and we'll come up. And we are out every other Tuesday, so join us next time for a special recording of a special movie with a special guest. Till next time, I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Movies.